Welcome to Safety Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Safety Squeeze Baseball Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Josh Bodie, alongside my co-host, Brady King. Brady, how are you doing today, and how was your vacation last week as well? Oh, vacation was great. Very relaxing. Enjoyed watching the All-Star Game and Home Run Derby while I was gone, Um, but glad to be back. Glad to be recording uh, just here for the start of the second half of the season. Really excited to get it underway. Yeah, me too, and talk about vacation one more second brady you were in the lake of the ozarks did you go wakeboarding skiing tubing a uh, big water ski guy wake up every morning and catch the glass get out uh before all the other boats and really just spend every morning water skiing and then the rest of the day just sit and relax enjoy the good weather enjoy the positive vibes gotta love it yeah that's awesome i have not been water skiing ever actually i've wakeboarded a couple times but it's been a long time i wish i'd get back out on the lake and wakeboard a little bit But anyways, let's get back to baseball here and start this up. Our topics for the day, we got a little home run derby talk. We're going to recap the all-star game a little bit. And then we're going to get into some buyers and sellers for the trade deadline. We're not going to talk about the big-time teams that are winning a ton of games right now, like the Dodgers, White Sox, Astros. We're going to talk about the fringe teams, talk a little bit about like pretty much the entire NL East. We got like the Angels, those teams, the teams that are close to the playoffs, but not, not totally out in front right now. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to talk about our favorite teams, talk a bit about the Cubs, and I'll talk a little bit about the White Sox. So that's what we got going for us today. So let's go. All right. The first topic of the day is going to be the Home Run Derby. And Brady, what was your first takeaway of the Home Run Derby? Well, we both uh, failed miserably with our predictions, (laughs) Josh. Uh, You had Joey Gallo, I believe, and uh, I took Otani, and they both lost first round. Uh, Otani put up a bit more of a fight, I would say, but Gallo, Gallo kind of found a swing a little too late. Um, still fun to watch both of them, and a little upsetting that our predictions were so far off, but it was a very fun home run derby indeed to watch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Gallo was a little disappointing. Yeah, His first three minutes were not great at all. He found a little bit of a swing late. He really caught fire in his extra minute, and I thought he was going to make it back, but he, I think he got he lost on his last swing, didn't he? Oh, uh, yeah. Him and Matt Olson, I think, both lost on their last swing. And another takeaway I had from Gallo, felt like his BP was pretty bad. Yeah, I didn't see his uh, BP, but... Uh, or re- his thrower. His thrower was... Oh, his, his BP thrower? thrower. Yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't seem like he had too much consistency. Like, where you look at Alonzo's thrower, and man, he was throwing him perfect for him. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of it is finding the right thrower. And Gallo just could not find a groove. He was really struggling with his swing, like you said, for the first few minutes and uh, really couldn't get going. It's hard to catch up uh, that late, uh, especially with how tiring. He's got a big swing, and that takes a lot of energy out. And I knew it would come to uh, come into play later in the round, uh, especially if he made it to the second or third round. But uh, I did not think it was going to affect him that early. Yeah, I agree. And before we talk about Pete Alonso's amazing night, let's talk a little bit about Brady's favorite, Shohei Otani, and his amazing first round against Juan Soto. They really stole the show of the night, and also, who's going to beat Juan Soto in a swing-off? He's probably the most diabolical hitter in the major leagues. When I saw he was coming up for the swing-off, I knew, I knew he was getting two. I didn't totally expect three, but... Three was definitely not a surprise. Yeah, so this is what, the second year of the swing-off, uh, in this format at least. Um, 
And we had a few uh, in the 2019 home run derby, but nothing was as impressive as what Soto did. Three for three in his swing off. Are you kidding me? That is absolutely insane. Uh, and Shohei didn't stand a chance, but that round was so awesome. So much adrenaline and really just had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. Um, and definitely was the highlight of uh, the home run derby for me. Yeah, I agree. And Shohei, he needed his groove. Like, he, he was bad for the first minute, and then he found his groove at the end of the first round. He was super hot to start his, uh, his I think, the overtime mm-hmm. it was. Um, but he really needed that groove, and I knew once Soto put all three out, Otani was probably going to ground one, and that's what he did, unfortunately, because the crowd wanted to see more Otani. Oh, um, absolutely. But I'm not going to complain either. I love Soto. Unfortunately, he lost to uh, Pete Alonso. And that's, this is a good transition into Pete Alonso. So in my notes, I wrote down Pete Alonso equals awesome. I know Brady's going to disagree. He's not a Pete Alonso guy. Not but at I thought, all. <laughs> I thought Pete Alonso was awesome. Uh, he is now, could be considered the home run derby guy. Uh, Cespedes Family Barbecue, one of my favorite uh, baseball guys. They said he's now the home run derby guy. And it'd be awesome if he just comes back and does the home run derby every year now. Because... There's only, I think, four two-time winners. Uh, it's Prince Fielder, Jonas Cespedes, and Ken Griffey Jr., yep. I think, are the other three. Mm-hmm. And Pete Alonso, this could be, like, his big achievement of his career, just win every home run derby. I mean, yeah, I think that's what he's got going for him the most. Uh, obviously, there was the uh, information that came out. He's made more money off the home run derby than he has <laughs> off his actual contract, which, I mean, yeah, he's absolutely the villain, and everybody's going to be trying to take him down. I hope... Uh, you saw Tatis say he was if it, he got the opportunity, he was coming for him. And I think it's going to spark a, a lot more competition for the home run derby in the coming years because uh, there's somebody to take down. There's a true king right now uh, in the home run derby. Granted, I'm not a huge fan of him, <laughs> but uh, he, he hits the home run well, especially in BP. Um, not really a fan that he thinks he's the best hitter of the generation, but I think that's a topic for another time uh i do think he's an excellent home run derby hitter though yeah he's definitely not the best home run derby hitter of the generation at least it's a little premature to say that i think with all the other young stars but he's definitely the king of the home run derby no one can really discount that and dave joust his uh his thrower his bp tosser he was exceptional putting everything right in his sweet spot oh yeah so let's just give him a quick shout out there and another shout out to i'm gonna give two shout outs one to trey mancini who was Maybe the story of the night. Absolutely. After beating colon cancer a couple years ago and made it all the way to the championship and gave Pete Alonso a run for his money. And my other shout out is to Salvador Perez, who pretty much had no shot after Pete Alonso hit 35 in the first round. And Salvador Perez, I don't remember how many he hit. but I think it, was, it was like 26 or 27, something like that. Yeah, it was in he, the high 20s. And that was something I was not expecting from him. He hit the second most out of anybody in that round. And he still lost, which is just unfortunate for him because he was going against Pete Alonso. But that was a hell of a round he had. Um, and, yeah, it was great to see. Uh, but you took took my two shout-outs. Definitely Mancini and Perez um, had outstanding nights at the Home Run Derby. Um, really cool to watch those guys, especially since they're not two names you would typically associate with the Home Run Derby. They did a great job. Yeah, I agree. And one more thing I wanted to say about the Home Run Derby. I saw a lot of complaints online about ESPN's broadcast because it was a little jumpy. You couldn't totally follow every ball. But with the with the way that it's designed right now, unless the, the umpire 
starts to crack down on the, you must let the ball touch the ground. It's going to be pretty impossible for camera crews and everyone to track every single home run ball. And we're just going to kind of have to deal with it the way it is. Yeah, there really isn't a great way to watch it. Maybe like a two monitor setup. You got one monitor for the, uh, for the hitter and one monitor for the outfield. But uh, other than that, there's really no great way to do it, especially when these guys are hitting so many home runs back to back to back like that. Um, I think they do a great job. Uh, my final note for the Home Run Derby and even for the All-Star Game was that Coors Field was electric. Excellent host, especially uh, with like how short notice they had. It, they did a great job, and uh, the fans out there did a great job of like participating and really being into what they were watching, which was awesome to see. Yeah, I agree. Fans showed out. It was a great environment, um, except for the Yankees or Aaron Judge testing positive for COVID. That kind of put a bummer at the end of it, but... I haven't heard a whole lot about it spreading, so I think that it was prevented the best as possible. Yeah, I think they did a good job with it from what I understand, so that was good. All right, and after the Home Run Derby on Monday, there was obviously the All-Star Game Tuesday. And Brady, I don't think you were able to catch a whole lot of it since you were on vacation. That's all right. I watched the whole game. I thought it was it was a solid game. It was not amazing, but it was still very entertaining. The Vladdy Nuke was awesome. It was like 468 feet. Yeah, I really think that Nuke uh, transferred into the start of the season, too. He started off hot. He's got three homers in the few games that they've played in the second half so far. Um, and I, hopefully that carries on because he's got a push to make for the Triple Crown. He does. And another thing that was cool, it was, it was kind of a great two days for catchers. We talked about Salvi in the Home Run Derby, but also Mike Zunino and JT Realmuto hit homers in the All-Star game and giving the catchers some love. Oh, yeah. Got to love to see it. As a catcher myself, that was awesome. Um, really love to see them show out and show that they have some power, too. And a highlight of the game was definitely Jared Walsh's diving catch in left field with bases loaded late in the game. And I didn't know it at the time, but I saw that was Jared Walsh's first time ever playing left field in the major leagues. Yeah, it was, which was incredible because he played that like a, like a veteran outfielder. Granted, it was, it was a very tough catch. Um, it was on Chris Bryant, unfortunately, my man. Um, but yeah, definitely a game, game saver that that ball hits the ground and two runs score for the NL. And that could really change the tide of how that game was going. NL, what are we doing? That's what, eight years in a row now? That's eight years in a row. The AL dominated again and I'm an AL guy, so I love to see it. Brady, you're an NL guy. Yeah, it really is not fun to keep losing like this. Um, you know, it, it really sucks. Uh, I'm not really sure what they can do to turn it around. It's not like eh, some years they play some bad baseball in the All-Star game, but this year it felt competitive all the way through and they just couldn't get it done. Normally it's the AL power relievers that come in in like the sixth inning and the NL can't do anything about it, but it, there really weren't a ton of power relievers this year. It's just the AL out hitting the National League. Yeah, this year that's what it was. And another note that I had about the All-Star game Everyone loves to hate on Joe Buck. I don't think Joe Buck is bad anymore. I think he's a legitimately good baseball broadcaster. He's improved tremendously. His bad bad bits from like the early 2010s are still bad, but I don't mind listening to him anymore. And him and John Smoltz make a good pairing. I don't fully disagree with you. I think he definitely has improved. I did have an issue um, with his interview of Chris Bryant during the All-Star game, like mid-game. Uh, he was asking Brian about getting traded and stuff like that. And I think Brian handled that really professionally. But, and granted, I think 
there is every right to ask him the question, but I don't think that was necessarily the time mid-game um, during the All-Star game. I feel like it kind of brought the vibes down and really just wasn't the time to be asking him about trades when you were trying to have a good time with all the other players and stuff like that. Um, but other than that, I think, yeah, he's definitely stepped up his game and definitely done a lot better. Um, the timing might not have been great, but Chris Bryant's response to it was awesome. I think he said something like, Playing all the different different positions helps him lock in each day. I thought Bryant's Bryant's interview, I think, was the best of the in-game interviews. Yeah, he did a great job and handled it really professionally. Even if it, he did not really uh, necessarily enjoy the questions he was being asked, he did a great job with it, and uh, it was really entertaining to watch. I think all the Cubs guys do a great job with their in-game interviews. Uh, always have, and they've always had that charisma to be able to do that. Yeah, Rizzo has been great in the past mm-hmm. as well. And on the in-game interviews, I think. They're amazing. I think it's a great way to to immerse the fans in the players, especially in game. I mean, you can't really do that in a regular season or postseason game because it's. I would I would think it's extremely distracting. However, yeah. an exhibition game, spring training, all star game, I think it's awesome. Chris Bryant, I think, had the best one. Tatis Jr. was up there as well, especially during the the Vladdy Nuke. Watching just turns that around, over his hands head. on his head. It was awesome, and but something about it. I, when the guys are up to bat, I mean, it's really hard to do an interview for that. The guys aren't really paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. Um, probably just work with them in the field is my opinion. And one final thing, uh, the Liam Hendricks technical difficulties. I don't think he knew that he had a microphone on, but he's just saying whatever he wants up there. And Fox is Fox probably forgot to turn his mic off, too, because he's throwing swear words. He's having a great time on the mound like Liam Hendricks does. Yeah, honestly, I don't mind it. Granted, it is... Uh does need to be a bit centered probably for all the younger <laughs> audience out there but that's what baseball is um playing high school baseball that's what it is playing college baseball that's what it is um and that's part of the game granted you don't hear it all the time uh cause guys aren't mic'd up but uh it is funny to hear to know that they are human and uh they do the same thing we do when we're out there yeah. uh playing so and that's just Liam Hendricks's personality. Like he just he just yells everything. Yeah, and absolutely. Especially with the mic on, it makes it even funnier. A hundred percent, no doubt about that. And that's gonna wrap up our All Star Week talk for the day. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about buyers and sellers. Welcome to Stephen's News. All right, and we are back from the break to talk about buyers and sellers at the trade deadline. And like I said in the intro, we're going to focus more on the fringe contenders. I think the legitimate contenders like the Astros, White Sox, Dodgers, all those guys, they should always be trying to make their team better uh, and to try to win the World Series. And that's less fun to talk about than talking about the guys that you don't necessarily know what they're going to end up doing. So we're going to start it in the AL Central with the Cleveland Indians, who are three and a half games back at the wild card. And... They've they've shown in the past that they're they're willing to trade away some of their guys that they're that they have locked up for a couple of years. A couple of years ago, we saw them trade Bauer at the deadline with a year and a half left on his contract. Last year, they did it with Clevenger with two and a half years left on this contract. So Brady, what do you think about Jose Ramirez and some of their starting pitchers like Bieber, Savale, and Plesac? What do you think they are going to do at the deadline? Yeah, I I wouldn't put it past them to move one or two of those guys. Um. Really, they've been holding steady with the with the White Sox all season uh, in that AL Central, but I'm not really sure they have the team to uh, make the push to get first place, and I don't see them locking up a wild card. Um, I really, I really think it it's a tough decision for them, but 
Um, really making that push doesn't seem in their best interest right now. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't put it past them to uh, trade away a few guys. Yeah, I don't think this is the year for them to make a push for the playoffs. I don't think it's the year really that they trade any of their long-term guys either. R- Ramirez and Bieber are two of the best players at their positions in the entire league, and they they should hold on to them. I agree. Um, but you never really know with the Indians. They they kind of do whatever they want to do. They they just trade away their guys, even if it may seem like maybe not the best interest of their franchise. They do like to play it cheap. Yeah, definitely do. Uh, that's been what they've done historically. So wouldn't be surprised to see it happen again. All right, now we're going to move over to the Angels, who, again this year, are fairly stars and scrubs. Otani has taken a huge step forward, and obviously everyone knows that. The Trout injury has hurt him for a while. Uh, Anthony Rendon has been down for almost the whole year. Yeah, he's been very quiet. But, but uh, the Jared Walsh breakout has been huge for him. Jared Walsh has been huge, absolute uh, steps forward for him. And it looks like, as of yesterday, I saw Trout tweeted out that uh, – He's coming back pretty soon, hopefully, uh, starting to make his recovery, which will be huge for them. Their offense has been playing pretty well. Um, They've been playing well as a team. They do need pitching, however. So if they are going to make that push, got to look for some relievers, maybe even some starters, uh, one or two guys. Yeah, I agree. My verdict on them is they shouldn't – I don't think they should go for any one-year rentals. Maybe target guys with a little bit more time left. Uh, I know it's in the division, but Kyle Gibson with the Rangers, I saw he has a year and a half left. That would really help out their starting rotation. They have the seventh highest starter ERA in baseball, eighth highest bullpen ERA, and a lot of bullpen guys at the deadline are rentals. So maybe targeting a starter that can help them out next year, which they might be better primed to push hard at the deadline, Mm -hmm. that would help them out a lot. Yeah, with Madden as their coach, uh, he's a winning coach, so I'm sure he's pushing for uh, the front office to go get some guys uh, that'll help out the team in the long run. So hopefully that happens because lo- I'd love to see the Angels start to win some games. Yeah, they're, it's really a bummer for MLB and for baseball fans alike that Otani and Trout are going to struggle so hard to make the playoffs just because the Angels, their front office just can't surround them with competent pieces. Yeah, no, they have not made the right moves at all recently. Um Really some bad decisions on their end, but hopefully they can start to turn it around. Hopefully Madden talks some sense into those guys over there because uh, we know he's a winning coach. He has been. In- Definitely. And staying in the AL West, the Mariners, I don't think this should be as long to talk about. They, they've been pretty surprising this year, though. Two and a half back of the wild card. I think it's a little fraudulent. I think they'll probably uh, start to lose some games down, down the wire. I think it's an emphatic st- stand pat. I don't think you really need to trade anyone necessarily. I don't know if you want to sell. Honestly, if they just do nothing, it might be the best for them. Because trading some... I don't know how many years Seager and Hanniger have left, but I'm sure they would love to stay in Seattle. And it might be best suited for the Mariners just to ride out the season and try and re-sign them. I agree. I definitely think uh, they might waver down the stretch. Um, it definitely does not seem like they can keep this pace for the whole season. However, uh, with a bunch of young guys on their team, there's really no need to be going around trading dudes. Just let these guys develop, let them play out their season, um, and hopefully come back stronger and better next year. I agree, and I guess they could try and trade for someone with a couple years left, but again, that's going to come with a higher price, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's really worth it for the Mariners to dive deep into their farm system and take away the depth that they have. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And now we're going to move down to the NL East, where seemingly the entire division is a fringe playoff contender. you got the Mets, who have been steadily leading the division all year, but that lead is down to only two games. 
and that's the Phillies right behind him. And so we'll start there with the Phillies. I personally think they might as well just go for it. You got Bryce Harper on the huge, massive deal. You got all these other guys that they have signed to at least decent deals. McCutcheon, Zach Wheeler, guys like that. Um, they could use another starter reliever, and I think they should go for it. 100%. The NL East is wide open, um, and these guys have no reason not to push. They have a good team, solid foundation, um, and a few pieces could really turn this team around, uh, especially if you get some clubhouse guys to really bring them all together. Um, I, I see no no issue with them going for the push and trying to uh, lock up the division. And a reliever name that's going to be super popular coming down to the deadline, Richard Rodriguez of the Pirates. He's had a great season, and maybe go after him. Uh, a lot of the starters that could be dealt are in the division, like the big name like Max Scherzer or maybe a Charlie Morton if the Braves decide to sell, which might make it more difficult for the Phillies to stack their rotation. But I feel like they could find some competent guys elsewhere as well. Definitely. Uh, just got to do some searching, do some, do some shopping around, but I'm sure they can find something. And now we'll talk about the Braves. And they're four back of the division. I think they should probably just wait and see until the very last minute. They already got their Acuna replacement with Jock Peterson. And we don't really know how they're going to do now without Acuna. And I don't think they should sell off much at all. Maybe if they want to sell a couple of their uh, guys that contracts run out, could help to bring a little bit of depth into the farm system. But I don't really think selling is a great idea, at least not this early. Yeah, I was kind of surprised with the jock trade. Um, I'm not surprised that the Cubs let him go. Uh, more so that the Braves were the ones that went for him. They didn't want to replace Acuna, but with how they'd been playing so far this year, even with Acuna, um, it didn't really feel like they should be making a push, but I guess they are, um, especially with how wide open the NL East is. So if they're going to do it, yeah, I would say wait a little bit, see what they can find up at the end of the, right at the trade deadline. But um It'll be interesting to see what they do if they try to make a, a legitimate push and try to stack up some more pieces. Yeah, definitely. And a, a name to watch there is definitely Charlie Morton. He's been in the World Series a lot recently in 2017 with the Astros last year with the Rays. So he has that postseason experience if the Braves decide to sell. And the last name that we'll talk about in the NL East is going to be the Nationals. And I think they're interesting because of Max Scherzer. And we don't know if he's going to get traded at all. It'll be that's going to be one of the biggest storylines coming closer to the July 31st deadline. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think Max probably wants to stay in Washington. That's where he's been for the past few years and uh, has really enjoyed it there. But um, I wouldn't put it past the Nationals to sell. Um, after coming off the World Series a few years ago, um, it kind of sucks to see that they've they've kind of fallen this far, similar to how the Cubs have. Uh, a little a little quicker than the Cubs, but very similar. Um so I wouldn't put it past them to be sellers. Um, also wouldn't put them past them to try to find another piece and try to make that push in the open NL East. Yeah, I don't know if necessarily buying would be the best thing for them because they're sitting six back in the division. I don't know if you want to lock grab a reliever, something like that. Every team needs reliever help. Obviously, yeah. I'm but, not really sure if there's any move they can make that would really put them over the edge like that, like, like you said. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so really, it's just Scherzer is the big storyline there. Mm -hmm. And we're going to wrap up our buyer and seller talk with the nl central we're gonna start with the reds and i'm not really sure what the reds window is is this part of the window i don't know they're like sort of youngish but also not with vado and some of their other core guys and brady what do you think the reds should do coming into the deadline 
Me personally, I think they should make the push. They got a team right now. Uh, they got guys who will play some baseball. Um, and with Castellanos and Winker having the best seasons of their careers right now, at least seemingly, um, I think with a little bit of pitching help, they could absolutely have a dominant postseason run. I don't think Milwaukee is a for sure NL Central um, number one. I think they have a very um, – shaky foundation i would say Um, definitely on offense yeah their offense is is very hit or miss every day um granted they do have some great pitching but it'll be interesting to see how well milwaukee holds that first place lead because they typically are coming from behind trying to make the push down the stretch rather than uh trying to lock up number one and stay secured up there yeah the reds were swept this weekend by the brewers and that's a big blow for them uh, especially because the Brewers, their starting pitching and the relief pitching is so solid, and it should probably prevent them from really taking a dive at the end of the season. So the Reds are just going to have to grind it out. And a name that I just thought of, Trevor Story for the Reds. He could fill in a huge hole at shortstop. Jonathan India's played well, but he's not really a, a true shortstop. I, I think he's factored in more as a second baseman. The Reds didn't really have a plan for shortstop coming into the year. Story can bring a big bat to their lineup and help to shore up the shortstop position on defense. Yeah, I agree with you. I think India has done a great job um, for what they've needed him to do this year, especially as a rookie. He's had performed well above expectations, I think, for everybody. Um, but yeah, moving him over to second base wouldn't be a bad idea. And if they could go out and get story, that could be a huge piece for that team. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to wrap up the day talking about Cubs for Brady and the Sox for me. Brady, you want to start with your Cubs? Yeah. Uh, so I want to start off by saying thank you to Jock Peterson. It was a fun, short half of season that we had him for. But uh, spring training, watching him play was a lot of fun. And he definitely was a lot of fun watching during the season. That man is an absolute joy to watch. He definitely is a very charismatic player. Um, So it was sad to see him go, but not surprised that he did leave. I think um, Craig Kimbrell and uh, Chris Bryant might be the next ones to go. Uh, Kimbrell, for sure, he's definitely gone at the deadline. That's the one I think almost nearly everybody could say is he's definitely getting moved just because he's been so dominant this year. He's back to his old self, and every single team could use a closer of that dominance. Um, And Bryant, I know uh, there's been a lot of talks about him going somewhere. I'm not sure where. I uh, haven't really heard much about who's interested in him, but uh, as a great utility player, he can play third base, uh, play anywhere in the outfield for a team, that, um, and he's got the postseason experience. They all do. So <clears throat> I think Bryant uh, could be the next one to go as well. Um, I know that uh, Rizzo and Baez, I, I believe the front office said they want to try to extend those two before uh, they look for trades. But really, it's been quiet, so um, really not sure what uh, what they're up to, what the Cubs front office is up to with those two either. Um, but of course, uh, in typical Cubs fashion, as soon as things look uh, their worst, they start to play well. So uh, the bats came back this week. Hopefully that boosts some players' value, and if we are trading guys, uh, hopefully we can get a bit more out of them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Rizzo and Baez will definitely be the two biggest guys that uh, will – it's it's kind of wavering back and forth as to whether or not they stay with the Cubs. And another name I want to throw out, Ryan Tapera. I think he was reliever of the month in mm-hmm. the NL in May, I believe. Yep. And that's a guy that's going to fly under the radar. 
when he when or if I guess he does get traded, but he's someone that could definitely bring a uh, a relieving or a bullpen core up in the playoffs and have a huge role. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you see any of the uh, Cubs relievers go. A lot of them have done a great job this season um, and have gotten hot at the right times. Uh, last month was a bit rough. But for the most part, they've all played very well. Uh, the Cubs bullpen's been great in general, so I wouldn't put it past the Cubs to uh, send a few of those guys away. And we're going to wrap up the day with a quick Sox talk. This will be a lot quicker. Just one thing of note, uh, the Sox locked up Lance Lynn on, ex- on an extension last weekend. That'll be two years, $38 million. I think it's a fantastic deal for both sides. Lynn Absolutely. gets paid a very respectable amount, probably around what he would have gotten in free agency. So now the White Sox can focus this offseason on maybe bringing back Carlos Rodon and looking for a, an everyday right fielder as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, for the Sox, I think they did a great job with that. Um, and really pushing for that postseason spot, I think maybe bringing in a piece at to play shortstop slash second base. I don't know what they want to do with Tim Anderson over there, if they want to keep him at short and bring in a second baseman. Um, but I think he could play second base just as well too. So, because um, obviously they got to replace uh, Nick Madrigal over there. Um, but yeah, I think I think they got a few, maybe one or two moves left to make before the deadline uh, to really be a true true contender. But uh, with guys coming back in the outfield, I think they uh, they're in a good spot right now. Yeah, real quick, uh, someone that I'd love the White Sox to get either Eduardo Escobar or Adam Frazier to shore up second base. And Yohan Mankata also played a little bit of second base his rookie year. So if you want to move him from third to second and put Eduardo at third, that works. I know Eduardo has played some second as well. So really getting that infield position cleaned up is going to be huge for them. And the relievers have been pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. Not maybe up to expectations, but I've been fine with them. If they want to get another guy, obviously everyone could use a, another reliever. But I think the White Sox are sitting in a pretty good spot for their playoff push. Yeah, definitely. They uh, they have all the power in the world to make the most out of this season. I think they will. I, I am very interested to see what they do and uh, excited to see how well they finish. Yeah, as am I as a White Sox fan who I guess I saw them in the postseason last year. But in a five-game series, haven't seen them since I think it was 2008. And that is a long time ago. Very long time. So that'll do it for us today on Safety Squeeze Baseball Podcast. I'm going on vacation uh, this week, so hopefully we'll be able to get a podcast out to you guys sometime the next episode, sometime next week. And uh, that'll do it for today. So see you later. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Safety Squeeze.